thousands of search results with one question in mind. What is Roman Sharf's net worth? You're listening to the Gray Market Podcast, your daily source of watch and horology news, brought to you by the experts at Luxury Bazaar. Good morning. Today is Monday, January 30th, 2023. With me today, I have Roman Scharf, the founder of Luxury Bazaar, to answer the question most people are asking, which is, what is his net worth? Good morning, Roman. How are you? Good morning, Ivan. Thanks for the loaded question. I actually didn't know this was, that this is what it's going to be about when I sat down here. This is why this is a podcast. This is a surprise. <laughs> it's, a, it's going to be a very interesting interview. Should I grab my tax returns? Or? Yes, yes. We have your accountant on the line. Um, <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> no, so number one most searched term when it comes to Roman Scharf is, is what is your net worth? Today we're here to find out the answer to that. We can go in as detailed as you'd like or stay, you know, kind of further away from the, the actual answer, but I'd love to get as much information about it as possible. Do you think it's, you know, more than 10 million? Yes. Do you think it's more than 50 million? Again, depends on how you look at it. And a lot of people tend to look at their self-worth to include everything they have. What I've done from early days on, the minute that I opened up this business 20 some years ago, in fact, I opened up the original company more than 20 years ago because I was in computer consulting, so I worked for myself and I had my own corporation. The minute I opened up my first S-Corp, I said to myself, and I said, the right way to do things is to separate personal from business. Whatever I own at a personal level, and personal level we're talking about real estate investments. I, I invest into real estate, I invest into stock market, I invest into mutual funds, obviously the college plans, the 401ks, all your regular tools when it comes to retirement that most people out there will have, alongside into precious metals, I like commodities, right? So I do have physical precious metals that are sitting in my bank uh, that I tend to invest to. All those things to include my primary residence, my secondary residence, i.e. other real estate that's not investment, strictly an investment piece of real estate, that's my personal net worth. Things like- let's, let's separate the two. Let's go personal, and again, ranges. We're not asking to, to look at your tax returns. If you had to say that if I sold, liquidated every single thing that I had today, would it be between the 10 and 20, 20 and 30, 40 and 50? And we're talking about just personal assets. Just personal. It would be between the 10 and 20. Okay. That's, that's one of the questions that, again, this answer would make a lot of people more comfortable with you personally. You know, knowing that this is not, again, one of the questions that people ask on Google is, is Roman Scharf a billionaire? You know, are you worth a billion dollars? You know, I think so. I'm, I'm, I think so. I'm fucking priceless, but I, I don't have I don't have I don't have a B in my you know, bank account. <laughs> no, I think your your brand could be worth, you know, at least, you know, a billion. Because if we were to monetize the hell out of it, if you were just a a product that we were selling, yes, I think that we could sell you for a billion dollars plus. Uh, um, check. <laughs> yeah. it, we're getting there soon. Let me ask you a question that might be a little bit more detailed. How do you segment your investments? You know, how do you, you know, I have personally, for example, I know that I have all, at all times, 20% of my, I guess, liquid net worth is in stocks. I'm a big fan of allowing professionals do their job i.e. I'm a very handy guy, for example, and I can fix anything and everything around the house. The one thing, I can build a house if I need to. I've been doing construction since I was little, plumbing, you name it. One thing I never touch around the house is actually electrical work. And the reason I don't do that is because that has a potential of backfiring and creating a dangerous situation, i.e. your house can go on fire. So I'm a big fan of allowing professionals doing what they're doing, i.e. if I need something electrical done in my house, I will call an electrician. If there's a plumbing issue, I can fix it myself, right? Or if I need to put up an extra wall. Same thing goes for my finance. 
finances ever since I felt there was a need for me to start managing the money. Again, I came up from nothing, so there was really not much to manage in the beginning of my life. But the minute there was a certain amount of money that needed to be managed, I passed it on to a professional, a guy I've been with probably going on almost 20 years, who's been managing my finances for me. He's, and the way you do that and the way I did that is I laid out a roadmap. And I said, that roadmap looks how? When would you like to retire? And what type of lifestyle would you like to live? When we first met, uh, his name is Bob. And when we first met, Bob said, hey, what, what type of lifestyle would you like to live? And when do you want to retire? I said, well, I'd like to retire, say, about the age of 50, 55. And I'd like to live a $200,000 a month lifestyle. Mind you, I wasn't making anywhere near that kind of money back then. And he didn't even laugh, right? He came back two weeks later, and he said he laid out the plan. He's like, OK, well, if you want to live that lifestyle, this is how much you have to put away every single month. This is how much income you have to make. And this is what your lifestyle is going to look like. Obviously, we all had a good laugh because there was no way in the world, no in the world I was going to put that away. And we set a reasonable roadmap. And that roadmap was set forth, and this is a roadmap that I follow. As far as the what, where, the percentages, et cetera, it really stems from the cash accumulated, right? So there was an extra money of money that needed to be put away into, let's say, a tool such as a 401k, right? That's going to net me X upon retirement between me and my spouse. Uh, then there was college plans, right? Three children, three college plans. Colleges are expensive. X amount of needed to be put away. And then there was my stock account. The more aggressive, the younger I was, the more aggressive that account was to, you know, gain returns that are off the annual average of you know eight nine percent right there's that there's also some one-off aggressive investments that i would go in and out win or lose but for the most part the minute an x amount of cash would build up in the account this is when we sit down we say look okay here's 500 grand did we stick that into your you know middle tier portfolio are you more conservative like mm -hmm. funds and things of that nature do we put that in a stock portfolio because there's opportunity in the market today do we keep it as cash because the bank happens to be paying a percentage which we both know they're not or do we buy a piece of real estate, more commodities? And that's really the way we've gone along the entire time. Even things uh, such as specific jewelry for my wife. I mean, mm -hmm. we all know diamonds can be a pretty good investment. It is a commodity of its own, of right? So all those things come into the mix, and it becomes a question of where do I have enough of? But every single time we reevaluate, and we do this every single quarter, we'll look at the outcome of the future based on average returns over the past 10, 20, 15 years. Now, how do you... I don't know if justify is the right word, but how do you determine when to invest into other unique investments such as like a gun collection that you have or certain personal watches that you might want to buy yourself or even invest in a business, um, you know, buy vintage cars, anything like that? How do you determine? It, it, all, it all stems from knowledge, right? Luckily, being in, this, in the industry that I am, I tend to cater to those that are most of the time more successful than me, right? Uh, we're talking about hedge fund guys, private equity guys. We're talking about CEOs of big corporations, mm -hmm. big finance guys. We have a ton of billionaires that I am on a first-name basis with. So oftentimes, I can get advice. I can legitimately pick up the phone and say, hey, buddy, uh, whatever his name may be, I have an additional, an extra liquid $200,000. Where's the market at today? This is... Uh, and also personal knowledge. I'm extremely knowledgeable in the history of guns, collectability of guns, much like I am in watches. So I know a deal when I see one, when I'm looking at auctions, when I'm looking at private parties trying to sell something, and I see opportunity. Do you see more of that as just kind of like you do it for the fun, or do you actually look at it as, I'm going to do this because I want the returns that I'm going to get from this you know, collection? This is, when we, well, you're talking about two different things now. You're talking about passion assets, right? Which is a lot of the watches and jewelry that we sell here are just that. They're passion assets, something you get to play with, enjoy, wear, and sometimes sometimes shoot, right? Of course. So when it comes to passion assets, there's a, a little bit of that gap, or I would say... Um, 
sort of a, a cushion, right? That you say, well, you know what? I really yeah. know that this gun is in reality worth about five, six thousand dollars. It may go up to eight tomorrow, but I really want that gun and I want it on display, right? So it, it more becomes of a um, a wise buy rather than an investment, right? Expensive toy that you buy wisely, knowing the market, knowing that you're not bluntly overpaying, but don't mind paying a bit more. But long term, when it comes to passion assets, collectible speed, vintage cars, uh, collectible coins, comic books, Pikachu cards, whatever, you know, yeah. there's, there's plenty of assets like that out there. But I call them passion assets because they give you pleasure, and usually those that are buying them yeah. have passion for them. Not all the time, and art is I another mean, you big would, one. You would assume that if, you know, I just, I kind of want to know, like, if you consider both sides, the passion and the return, or you just kind of go blindly, this is my passion, this is what I want to do, I'm when it comes go to when first. it comes to art, it's usually just passion, okay. right? And I tend whatever art me and my wife collect usually tends to come from places we visit because we love travel, mm-hmm. right? And some of this art is gone up in value. I can't remember the name of the artist. We were in LA about ten years ago, and I saw a humongous canvas with a bunch of hearts on it, and I thought it looked cool. Uh, and somebody told me it's an up and coming artist. I think that we ended up painting paying about ten grand for the painting, and. I think we were in Art Basel, and I saw a similar painting, smaller than mine, selling upwards of $60,000. So that up-and-coming artist obviously broke out of his shell. But there is one issue with that. When people talk to me about watches as an investment, I always tell them they're a good passion asset. Mm -hmm. But in order for something to be a good investment, you have to have the ability to buy right and also be able to liquidate right. In order to liquidate a watch, most people will instill the help of of a guy like me or one of my team, right? When it comes to art, it's also the same thing. You end up with a lot of cool paper gains, and oftentimes you will probably reach out for help, either a major auction house or somebody who's in the industry, leaving a lot of money on the table. But overall, if you pick the right things, I mean, who knew that Damien Hurt's dots would be selling for hundreds of thousands of of dollars? I know a guy that was buying them up for a couple of grand a piece when he was coming out with them, and now, lo and behold, his art collection is worth millions. But at the same token, he's, in order to sell it off, he still needs to, he still requires some sort of a broker who's in the industry who's able to make that liquid. Of course. So a lot of people, you know, when they ask about your net worth, you know, the, the, the vanilla answer that we typically give either via your bio on, or on the website or if somebody's just asking via DMs is that your net worth is tied to the success of the Luxury Bazaar company and brand. Um, tell me more about that. What, the what answer that is yes and no. And, and this is where I go back to what we said. Till this day, 20 years later, I still, my, I still keep my personal net worth separate from that of the business. Now, we had a recent evaluation of $150 million for the company. I have two business partners. Does that mean uh, I should add $50 million to my net worth? For the most part, people will say yeah. yes. But A, evaluations change. The X value changes, right? Uh, how do you look at a business strictly from based on its assets on its balance sheet or what the company is actually worth based on its name, years, and history, and so on and so forth, right? If you look at the balance sheet, my balance sheet won't show $150 million, right? But if you look at an evaluation, it will. So the question becomes, oh, the way I answer that to myself, yes, you can add $50 million to my net worth but only after I sell my company. It's just as illiquid as certain real estate. And, you exactly. Because some things are obviously more liquid. Your ownership of a company is only liquid when you sell it. I think that uh, you can scale it down and you can simply say that if you wanted to add a value of your business onto your personal net worth, then you would look at the strictly at the balance sheet, i.e. Yeah. liquidate the inventory, pay yeah. off your receivables, collect your payables, take that chunk yeah. of money and stick it in your bank account. And that's when how you know that's now part of my net worth. That makes a lot of sense. 
Let's talk about your monthly run rate. How much does it cost you to live, both professionally and business-wise? And again, no, you don't have to get into specifics, but to give the audience kind of an idea, like, so I know, you know, it, it, for me to survive costs me about, you know, $25,000 a month. You know, obviously I have mortgage. Did I have, you just say survive? Survive well, survive, <laughs> survive well. Again, three kids, daycare, schools, activities, you know, all the things that come along with it. I know you have, you know, the same thing going on. Um, a lot of people that talk about this sort of topic, and again, this is a new podcast. This is not something that we've been doing. You're not, you know, this is the first time that we're talking to somebody about their, I guess, finances. So it might not be comfortable. It might not be something that you want to answer, and you definitely don't have to. But I think that people kind of want to know where they stand compared to somebody else. That's always the case. Like, how much money do you make? How much money do you spend? Well, so you have to talk. You have to like, talk. You, you know, have to talk about lifestyle and what's important, right? You have to talk about things like. How much do you splurge on certain things and things of that nature? I've always been a fan since the day, you know, I was, I've always been the guy when I was young and I worked every job under the sun. I made $100 and I, I would spend $120 on some fancy t-shirt, right? It's really what you get out of life and what's important to me. One of the things that's uber important, the number one thing that's most important to us as a family is our kids and my family to me, obviously, in general. So that stems from providing a comfortable roof over their head and providing a great education. We chose, once we were able, the minute we were able to afford it, we chose to send our kids to private schools, all three of them. One of them has now graduated, went to University of Miami, as you guys, some of you guys may know. The other two are still going to private school. So a comfortable roof over your head, and by comfortable roof, I mean each child has a, you know, their own bedroom. We have a beautiful pool in the backyard where everybody can house. We have a big house where we can host a lot of guests, which is also very important to us. That's our lifestyle. We like to host a lot of people. We'll have kids. We'll love for them to just, all hang out comfortably. Sorry, just to remove any sort of like, you know, weird feeling about this, you worked hard for this. You know what I mean? This is not, it wasn't gifted to you. This no. is something that you've earned over decades of working and, and yeah, my first, my, me and my wife's first place was uh, my bachelor pad, which I bought for 99000 It was a condo, you know where. Yep. Uh, it was 1,100 square feet. That's why my son was born. I didn't get to a humongous house overnight. It took me quite a while to get there. But along the way, what I didn't do is I didn't pinch pennies, and I, and I also looked at other things that were important in life, outside of taking care of the children, making sure we eat properly. One of the things we spent a lot of money on, believe it or not, is actually food. My wife orders food from seven different farms. And, you know, I always make fun of her. I'm like, is this a $12 per piece egg or $12 per dozen? Because my wife uh, tends to, it is very important to my wife that the family eats very healthy. And healthy she foods cost a ton of money. Health, yeah. She values health tremendously. That's something that you can't put a price so on. So things like trainers, things like yeah. gyms that are a bit more expensive than some of the box gyms yeah. and things of that nature, that's always been a big thing. Another big thing for us was always travel. Me, me and my wife's interests align tremendously, and that usually stems from travel, stems from art, we like wine, we like expensive wine, uh, and we also love history. So travel, a travel, healthy travel budget throughout the year, not just for us personally, which we do every summer, at least two weeks in the summer by ourselves, leave the kids at home, but every moment we get, we've taken our children somewhere to see something, whether it's historical, whether it has something to do with art, and of course, when it came to wine stuff, that was usually us. So a tremendous budget on travel. If I didn't travel as much as I did, I would probably save up, have a lot more money in my savings account on my 401k, right? <laughs> you only but, live once. But I, I, that's, I, that's how I am. I only live once. So that's why we spend sometimes an amount of money on a piece of art that may not be worth anything, but we happen to like what it looks like, and it reminds us of a place that we went to. Most of the art in my house is from a place we went to. That's why I have 1,500 bottles of wine in my cellar, because this is something that I enjoy. And as you said, you only live once. You can't take it yeah. with you. 
but done within reason. It doesn't take away from anything so else. The reason I even asked this question, and again, not to make you uncomfortable at all, it's just, I listened to a podcast that's probably become, you know, one of my favorite podcasts, and they recently interviewed, or not, I guess not recently, it was a while ago, they interviewed Neil Patel, who's a, a pretty famous marketer. I mean, this guy is like a genius marketer. And they were talking about the same, you know, topic or similar. And I said, Neil, you know, what, what does it cost to be you? How much money do you spend, you know, on an average month? And he's like, well, you know, it typically costs me about $180,000 a month, you know, to, to live. And they're like, oh my God, you know, how giant is your house? He's like, I don't have a mortgage. You know, I have taxes, you know, I pay a homeowner association, but no mortgage. Like, why do you, you know, what costs you $180,000? So he broke that down and the hosts of the podcast were like, wow, you know, like I felt bad spending $25,000 a month, you know, in my expenses. I thought, wow, that's, you know, exorbitant. And, you know, I'm, I, I sound like a douche. You spend $180,000 a month to, you know, to live. It kind of put things in perspective where the host was like, okay, well, I don't feel so bad. I mean, sure, they're both successful. Neil is successful as well. They're not 100 millionaires. They're not billionaires, of course. They have reasonable, you know, expenditures for themselves. So one of the expenditures that they found to be very valuable, and both of them were the same, just like your wife finds it valuable to buy healthy food from directly from farms, they found it valuable to have chefs. Like they both had full-time chefs working there creating food that not only they that they like but that is healthy and that they don't have to think about i mean the value of not having to think about what am i eating today what am i eating tonight what are my kids eating you know is is pretty tremendous and i've actually been considering it lately like you know why can't i just you know have a chef make three meals a day you know for like my entire family what would your wife be, say about that uh she would say yes please i mean my wife says my wife my cook. wife my wife is a big cook so i guess i have a chef built in she loves cooking she enjoys cooking she experiments with cooking she takes classes she reads podcast and the whole to do she absolutely loves it my middle daughter is a hell of a baker which i absolutely love because i love sweets so i'm lucky to have two women in my house that actually love 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 cooking and i have a fresh dinner at my house every single night yeah, i have to make it i, I cook you know, most people don't eat my food so i'm mostly the only one that eats it let me tell you this and for those of you that are listening out there that are looking sort of for guidance as to you know, how much is too much to spend on a monthly basis. The way I look at things is I already have a plan with my financial broker. I know where I'm going to be at the age of 55, not counting my business, based on the income that my business brings to me today. My business is a tool to bring home an income a salary, if you will, right? Some call it an owner's draw, whatever you want to call it. But there's an X amount of money that I bring home every single month from my business amount of money that my business can sustain based on its growth. If the business grows to a particular level, I have certain KPIs. If the business gets here, then I'll go from taking a dollar to $2 and $3 and so on and so forth. So long as you set your priorities straight, so long as your long-term investments are out of the way on a monthly basis, I, you put money away for a college plan, 401k is getting maxed out. You put some in your middle tier, you put some in commodities, you take any additional money and you spend it on real estate that's giving you a return you're now able to say, okay, well, what do I do with the rest of the money? As I said, you can't take it with you. And that's when you tend to splurge. And by splurging, I mean travel. And again, there are levels to travel. I've traveled, I started traveling on a budget. I didn't start going to Europe and staying at the Ritz-Carlton or flying business class, right? I traveled on a budget. As, my, as I was able to afford nicer things, I started flying business class. I started staying in better hotels. But the bottom line is, it's what you get from it, right? Because people always tend to look at an, an investment, a monetary investment, and they always look for that return. What I can tell you what my return was, 
my kids have been to every single Hall of Fame, Sports Hall of Fame, hockey, basketball, football, uh, baseball. My kids have been to every major metropolitan area to include every major museum in there, which is diversified among art, history, and other things. My children have seen architectural things. My children have been up and down the East Coast, up and down the West Coast, with all the national parks and things of that nature. My kids are very well-rounded, both historically, from the arts perspective, from a geographical perspective, and even nature's perspective, right? So these are, this is my return on that particular investment, but that doesn't mean that 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I would pick up my wife and my son, take a private jet to and stay at the Ritz-Carlton and Los Angeles. You can still travel on the budget. It's after you've, you've sort of met all your commitments on a monthly basis, and that is the future commitments, knowing that, A, yes. when I retire, I'm taken of care of. If, God forbid, I'm not here tomorrow, my kids are taken care of, and my wife is taken care of. It is only then you start moving up those personal okay. things and that monthly expenditure. So you don't actually, I mean, with your your financial planner, do you actually set like a budget or is it just what's coming in, first you know, priorities, whatever it has to go to its location? I know what my monthly commitments are. So okay. for example, with my broker, I have a set amount that I'm committed to of my, of what I put away. Well, you have to invest. What I put yeah. away on a monthly basis towards my investment accounts, okay. that automatically gets withdrawn from my account. Yeah. Same goes for college plans. Then you have the simple things, mortgage, cars, okay. you know, bills, food, and things of that nature. So those things sort of come out naturally. And then what happens, whatever is left over, goes into a savings account. The minute that savings account hits a particular threshold in terms of cash, that's when my broker gets a phone call to say, hey, Bob, what are we doing? I got an additional 200 grand sitting here that's just sitting in the bank earning 0 .000, whatever interest. Have you invested into any businesses? I have not, because the best business to invest to is my own. So there was never really a need. I never really... It's like nobody's been, ever come up to you and said, hey, you know, you're really good at what you're doing. I, you know, we're friends. Can you invest in my business that I want to launch and, you know, help me out? You know, yes, I've had plenty of opportunities to give seed money to certain projects and so on and so. For the most part, these were, you know, the startup type of situations mm -hmm. out of which, unfortunately, most don't yeah. end up making you know, you it. You really only need one to actually really exactly. work out. You, yeah. I feel like when it comes to startups, like, you know, you bet on 100 and you win once, right? And I'm not a gambling man. I have a clear-cut plan. I'm getting to an age where I don't need to gamble. In fact, over the next three to five years, I'm going to you know, go on more of a conservative route when it comes to all of my investments and not get as aggressive for long-term growth. You know, I was much more aggressive at 30 than I am at 40. About that long-term growth, what do you think, or can you put a number on what your goal would be to be, you know, net worth or, or your value or... Upon the exit from this company, you know, ultimately... I would be comfortable with a quarter billion dollars. Okay, that's not that. That's I feel like not only is that reasonable, but it's more than doable. Um, so you're not looking, you know, to become the next, you know, Warren Buffett. You're not looking to become Elon. Oh, I always am. I just yeah. I'm also a realistic person. Okay, and so having the, the fact that I started this business at twelve thousand dollars total, it's a pretty good, pretty good return rate. So, yeah. so far, so far, I'm yeah. having a pretty good return rate. Okay, um, yeah, that I think that really answers the question. Now, again. You know, I, I didn't want to do this to get specific into numbers. Uh, I think that the information you provide really provides kind of an idea of who you are, you know, what you do and how it pays for, for your life. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming. Thank you for, you know, taking these questions and, and not, you know, getting, getting too uncomfortable with them. Um, we'll see you guys tomorrow.